seeing like what they're doing and watching them post pictures of like their land five years ago versus their land now and reading about the carbon sequestering abilities of grassland and regenerative farming, like all of this stuff. I think that that has really changed my perception of the meat dairy egg industry. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. So I'm in Wenatchee for a meeting a couple of weeks ago, just walking down the street. I'd never been in downtown Wenatchee. You go to check it out. And I stumbled on this little grocery store right in the heart of downtown, and I had to walk in. So I checked it out, and up on the board, it was know your farmers and all this stuff about buying local food. And the woman behind the counter ended up being the owner of this little shop. So I invited her to join us for a conversation here on the podcast. I went back to my car, got my gear, and we just sat up right there in the middle of the store with the coolers running in the background, and it it just happened. The name of the store was Rhubarb Market, and Sandy Bammer is the owner. We had a great conversation about so many things. I got to know her as we recorded the podcast. It was a really, really cool experience and totally an unexpected stop on my journey across Washington State to get to know people behind our food I'm Dylan Honkoop. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast, and thank you for joining us this week. So I met you earlier today. Yes. And you have this incredible store. <laughs> Thank you. In downtown Wenatchee, which is where we are. Yes. Right now. In the store. In the middle of the store. Downtown. So tell tell me about the store. How did this get started? What is the store? What's it all about? Um, okay, so it started. I've had the store for almost six years. I've just moved downtown. Um, I moved last summer, so I moved in in June, and I just opened the doors to the public in November because it took a long time to get things ready. Mm-hmm. Um, pre. I guess the way it came about, I worked for a nonprofit, uh, as I was telling you earlier, and I worked for them um, only for a year, but I'd been involved with them for probably five years prior as a volunteer, and uh, I was part of a group called EAT, which was Education and Agriculture Together, and we mm. did a bunch of like educational, um, I don't know, programs, and and we did like farmer restaurant meetups, and yeah, you know, yeah. tried to just the, the local food scene in Wenatchee. I guess I was mm-hmm. part of that. Um, and after I, the nonprofit closed down, I didn't want to see the store go away. And I also couldn't find a job in Wenatchee. So Mm. I decided that I either had to move or I would start my own business. So I opened Rhubarb and it's been six years of, um, I don't know, a little little bit of struggle, Yeah. (laughs) uh, local food and, and like have, so the store itself, I guess my, my mission is. Um, to buy and connect the community with local food as much as possible. Now, the the store I worked for for the nonprofit 
we only sold things that were grown in North Central Washington. So we were pretty limited and, and, yeah. and I was the store manager. I ran the CSA and I noticed that, you know, customers would come in and they'd say, oh, we, if we could get coffee here, that would be great. They'd come pick up their CSA. And so there were all these things that I thought, you know, if I had a store, I would do this. <laughs> and so it's been great because I definitely, not everything is local. I try to get as much local as I can. Um, but we have a good variety. I, I call myself the Wenatchee's Green Grocer. Like our focus is vegetables. We buy direct from small family farms most of the time. Mm-hmm. In the winter, I do use a, a distributor a little bit to sort of supplement. So I have more yeah. than, you know, carrots. Well, people and still onions. need a reason to come in. Yeah, yeah. Right? For sure. So, yeah. And I don't know. We're just like a fun little grocery in downtown Wenatchee, yeah. which I think was, it's going to be a fun spot for us because um, there's a lot going on downtown now. There's people living here. There's a lot of people working downtown. And I think we add a fun, uh, I don't know, to the mix. We're good. Yeah. We mix in well. So. Well, being here, <laughs> I realized I don't think I've ever actually spent time in downtown Wenatchee <laughs> until today when I was yeah. strolling along and happened upon your market. What kind of people do you serve? Who comes in who are, is really interested in what you're all about? Like your loyal customer so base. I, so I think they're definitely motivated by buying local. Like mm. there's, I, de- I have a core group of people that f- have followed, you know, Kim, who was the originator of Farmhouse Table, and then me, and, and they like the idea. They love coming in and seeing the list of like the farms that we buy from. Yeah. They know that I know all the farmers. They know, they like that I can tell them stories about, you know, where their food has been coming from. Um, they know that they can ask me how to make something or what, what, what do they use, you know, rutabagas for, (laughs) you know, it's just, I think they come in because it's, it's more personable than going to the grocery store in, in many ways. They know where their food is coming from. They can talk to somebody about their food. They're people who really like to eat. They're people who are excited about organic and sustainable. And is all of your stuff organic? Not everything. Mm. Um, my first, my, my first, uh, I, I want to buy local first. Not everybody gets certified organic. Most of them grow organically, but some of the smaller folks don't get certified. I think there's a lot of people now, and, and maybe people will disagree with me, but there's some people now who, who like, they don't think organic, getting the certification is necessarily worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, they either sell direct, they have relationships with people, so they, they'll, they'll say we're better than organic, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so... Um, what do you think about that issue? What, what's your personal take on that? I, people get so passionate about that sometimes. I mean, I work one with, way or the other. I work with a lot of growers who do both. Yeah. Um, and you know, talking to them, they're like, "We wish people knew that we didn't. We don't just go out and dump a bunch of cancer-causing chemicals <laughs> on your food. <laughs> like, like it's our orchard too. It's our land. Like, w- they try to be very deliberate about." And the organic, you know, it's not necessarily better. There's some nasty things that go into organic, you know, pesticides as well. And you still have to control for that kind of yeah, stuff. You, you have to be careful yeah. regardless. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I Maybe mean, that's why these people are saying they're better orga- <laughs> than organic because people want to know them and know yeah, that they, they trust them specifically. Yes, yes. I think that there's definitely something about that. Like knowing who is growing your food, they'll, they'll tell you this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Like, yes, we use this, but... We use it because, you know, at this targeted time, because this <laughs> one bug will destroy our, you know, crop. And I don't know. It's 
Yeah, a while back on the podcast, just actually up the road from here in Orondo, I was talking with April Clayton with Red Apple Orchards, and they do mostly organic, but as she talked about here on the podcast, Mm -hmm. they actually quit doing organic with their cherry trees because the organic stuff that they had to use to control a couple of things was killing the trees. Yeah. So they found it was actually better to go the other way, but all their apples are still organic. It's it's. I think when most people think of organic, they really, they just want to know if there's nasty stuff on their food. And organic, yeah. you know, the organic label includes a lot more than just that. And conventional doesn't always mean that there's nasty stuff on your food. Yes. I'm not a farmer though, so I don't, I can't speak really and intelligently to that. That's what I'm interested. How did you mm-hmm. get involved in the world of food? If you aren't, a, did you grow up on a farm or what drew I, you to this? No, I did not grow up on a farm, but my family always had big gardens. We grew a lot of our own food. Um, Where did you grow up? I grew up in Spokane. Um, I mean, my grandparents were wheat farmers in Montana, but that's not, that was not my experience. Yeah. I didn't live on the farm. Right. Visited, but never lived there. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we had big gardens, my grandma canned, we, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then when I moved, I moved to Bellingham to go to college. I was a vegetarian. I was like concerned about the environment and, mm-hmm. and I just started getting, I guess, involved in local food, sustainability, environmentalism. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of things that kind of, you know, happened. I traveled then I saw like, oh, I, for me, I was a vegetarian for a long time when I started getting involved in local food and I could see where my, you know, food was coming from. Mm-hmm. I started eating meat again, mm-hmm. you know, because it made me feel better to, to know that, the, I don't know, animals were being cared for, the land is being cared for, that, that kind of thing. I just, um, I worked at Boundary Bay Brewery in Bellingham for many years. <laughs> and uh, Love those I think guys. Sustainable, sustainable Connections was just kind of getting started. Yep, yep. And, um, you know, so Boundary jumped on that and we were sourcing a lot of local food. And I just started getting into, I guess, that, the local food. I like to eat, <laughs> you know, I like good food. So, um, and then when I moved here, that was sort of, the way that I thought I could, you know, hook up with people of similar interests. So I, I sought out a local food movement and that's how I got involved with eat and mm-hmm. community farm connections and sort of just went from there, I guess. So, but that wasn't what brought you here to, to Wenatchee. Yeah. No. Is that, did you come here from Bellingham or what? I did. What I moved here from journey? Bellingham. I, I fell in love and he lived here mm. and I lived there <laughs> and one of us had to move. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I came here. Yeah, which is great. I I love Wenatchee. It's it's funny because there is a lot of opportunity in Wenatchee. I think um, if I, this store probably wouldn't have happened in Bellingham because there's a ton of stuff already going on like that in Bellingham. It would have been a hard market to you know break into. Where here, like nobody was. I mean, Community Farm Connection was like its own thing. You know, nobody mm-hmm. else is doing that. And then I think what I'm doing is kind of my own thing. Nobody yeah. else here is doing anything really like this. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Pibus, I guess, is doing some stuff similar, but. <laughs> so, well, talk about your time, though, with this nonprofit. Like, you were working with farmers then to kind of start making some connections between so we growers tried, and. Yeah, they did a lot of, they did a lot of different things. There was kind of an umbrella organization that had these separate programs underneath. So we did the, uh, we did a CSA, we did the farm store. Um, we did a farm to chef program. We did a farm to school program, uh, trying to get local food, you know, into the schools and a lot of just educational, 
we would, I don't know, they would go to the schools and do educate, like, what's this month's vegetable? You know, mm-hmm. like, it, uh, I wasn't involved with those. I worked with mostly the, I worked with the CSA and the farm store. I didn't do a lot of the other stuff. And, and it ended up being that there were other groups that sort of were picking up some of that work. Like I said, I think we had a really hard time with farm to chef. Farm to school was easier. The school district was pretty, um, especially at that time, uh, there were some great people who were really into getting local food into the schools. And so that made it easier. The, the hardest was working with the restaurants. I think here in Wenatchee, it just wasn't quite the time. There wasn't quite the demand for local food in the restaurants from the customers. And then that makes it hard for the the owners to see a real value in going through the extra effort to get, you know, local food. Um, a lot of people use the term local food that like, but not everybody wants to follow through <laughs> or they'll do, they'll do like one thing local on the menu and say, we, we serve local food here, you know, <laughs> so it's, it, it, it can be, it can be difficult with, with them. So, um, and the, the nonprofit sort of devo- dissolved for many different reasons that nonprofits dissolve. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, I just, I didn't want to see the storefront go away because I saw, I saw that as the most, um, useful community building, like connection with consumer and being able to get that out. And, uh, and I didn't want to see the CSA go away because at the time, um, there weren't a lot of farm CSAs in this area. I think there were maybe two in Leavenworth. There weren't any in Wenatchee. And and over the past five years that I've been open, there's been more that started in both Leavenworth and Wenatchee. But I still think that I, I, I have a, or I serve a purpose, I guess, and that I can buy from farms that are maybe too small to have their own CSA, but they can still sell a fairly large quantity of stuff through my CSA, so... Explain a CSA for people who maybe aren't familiar with how that works. So I guess traditionally, it's, so CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture, and it, it started as a way for a farm to get some you know seed money literally early on, um, like in January and February. So people will buy a share on your farm. Um, it's like get, a subscription, basically. Yeah, right? yeah. So you you pay up front. The, the farmer gets money. They they buy the seed supplies that they need, and then you get a share. So all summer they're supplying you with whatever is coming fresh off of the farm. And so we sort of, I mean, that's what we do. We just we buy from fifteen to twenty different farms. So we call it ours a cooperative CSA. Um, some of the farms we work with have their own CSA. Some are just wholesale farms. Some do market and sell to us. So we, we buy from a variety of people. But it, it sort of serves the same purpose for us. Like, I have people who are signing up right now, which is great because January is my slowest time of the year. So it kind of helps me get through until spring. Um, and then we can provide them great food all summer. You mentioned that some farms, it, the CSA doesn't quite work out. I, I haven't really thought about this before, but really you have to grow a certain breadth of different things. Yeah, you things. have to grow a lot of stuff if you want to have a CSA off of your own farm, which for some people is... So no. if you just want to be like, hey, I love growing broccoli. I'm really good at broccoli. My <laughs> right. my ground is perfect for that. That's what I do. <laughs> right. You can't do a CSA. You can't do a CSA off your farm. No. Yeah. And there's a lot of places that do that. Or they or they maybe just grow five different things, you know, because they sell a lot wholesale. Um or they sell certain things to restaurants, and those are the things that they specialize in. But yeah, they wouldn't be able to do a CSA. So I, th- I think it's, I think it's that we provide something for those guys because we can buy stuff from well, them absol- for our CSA. So, absolutely. Yeah. 
yeah, it's just a, you know, like I said, and some of, some of the farms we work with do have their own CSA, which is great because they grow a huge variety of things and we get some really fun stuff from them. Um, but I don't really see it as a competition. I just think the more people that are able to do that, it, it's, it just brings it to more people. There's a lot of people in the Valley here who would, who are potential CSA customers. So there's no, I would love to see more farms do it. I mean, more farms do, you know, do those kinds of things. But the, the fact that we have such a variety of different farms doing different things is great for us because, yeah, we, we kind of benefit from what everyone is doing for sure. It sounds more and more, as I think about this, issue with bringing local food to people who eat, everybody <laughs> in our communities, is yeah. not the growing of the food. It's the process of getting it to them from that farmer to the eater. And like you're talking about getting food in restaurants or CSAs, there's always these complicating factors. Yes. Like sor- sourcing is challenging. Like a restaurant, they, they don't want to have to deal with uh, We heard that on this podcast a while back from Nails Brisbane working at Canlis in Seattle yeah, and they're trying to so do all hard. this yeah. local food mm-hmm. but it took a huge amount of his time just to manage all of that. Yes, yes. I mean, like for me doing the CSA, I I can call 10 to 15 farmers, you know, in a week to try to see what they have, what's fresh, what's coming up, what do you think is going to be, you know, available. And not all chefs or restaurants have the time to do that. So it makes it a lot easier when they can just, they get an order form from, you know, Charlie's Produce or Mm -hmm. FSA, and they can just take off what they want. And it comes all in one delivery. And it's, so it's definitely, I think, sourcing and, and using local food, there's, there's, it's not, like you said, it's not always about the growing. It's, it's how you get it to market. I mean, even farmer, farmer's markets are great and they're great community, um, a great way to connect with the community. But even that is like for a farmer, sometimes sitting in the hot sun for, you know, eight hours, mm-hmm. you have to get there really early. You stay all day. You don't always make a lot of money. Like you can't, it's, it's a great way to connect with the community. It's maybe not always the best way to get all of your food out. So, I mean, we have a lot of farmers that just, they don't do farmer's market. They don't like it. We have some farmers that love doing the farmer's market, but it's just interesting how, I don't know, the different ways to try to get food out to the community. Again, like I think we provide a storefront. We're sort of like a farmer's market all week long. You can come in and get the stuff that you could get down there as well not always convenient for everyone to go down to the market um i'm not knocking farmers markets at all i love them but it's it's not always the best way to get the maximum amount of your food out to the community if you're a farmer i think and what you're saying speaks to the individuality of farmers too yeah (laughs) and their operations what they know how to do what they're comfortable Mm -hmm. with yeah what's that like working with farmers what 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 (laughs) because a lot of people want to know what's up with farmers what farmers are like but don't know them you know a lot of them i mean i can't speak like there's definitely not a type there's all types of people who, who farm, which is awesome. Like for me, it's great. I'm, I know a lot of really cool people that are doing really cool things, but I would say that there probably is like an individualism streak in all of them, you know, because they are doing what they're doing. Um, but yeah, there's no one type of person. I have 
farmers. I, I work with people who've been doing it for, you know, 30 plus years. I work with people who just started two years ago, people who worked on someone else's farm and they wanted to start their own, people who've never farmed at all. And they're like, I'm going to be a farmer. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's cool. It's, they all have, I think, a, a desire to, I don't know, do something meaningful and, and um, in, you know, they're, they're their own boss, it, all of those things. But yeah, I don't know. I, I work with a lot of really cool people, but it is definitely like a person. There's all kinds of personalities. <laughs> <laughs> they're all very passionate about what they do. For sure. It's, I don't know, it's, and it's really cool on my end to like, to work with those people and, and you see the, the effort and the, the work that it takes and, and they, you know, the love hate relationship you have with it, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. It's, I, I wish more people could see that from like where they're, I think you would appreciate your food more if you, if more people knew they're farmers. <laughs> Or where their food was coming from. Oh, that's it was hard. It's really hard work, you know. <laughs> like I, I'm very thankful for the yeah. people that grow the food because I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could be a farmer for sure. <laughs> well, and so. that's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> we have a lot of farmers on and other people behind the food mm-hmm. like you because you aren't a farmer. Mm-hmm. But like we were just talking about, sometimes the hard parts grow on the food, and everybody knows the hard work outside mm-hmm. you know in the dirt with the animals whatever it might be yeah then also the, all this complicated stuff of like what you're doing here having a store yeah. and all the infrastructure that goes with it and the sourcing and the relationships and business and all this stuff <laughs> it's a lot you obviously have a huge amount of passion for it to do yes. this just like a farmer has to have passion to be out in the hot sun yes. working for hours on it I think so. I mean, I like to think so. I do have a lot of passion for this. I don't want to equate what I do as being as hard as what they do. (laughs) But it's, yeah. Well, I, having grown up, I'll just say this, having grown up and (laughs) been around a lot of farmers my whole life, there are some who would much rather do this or or do what they're doing than do this. Yeah. Is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, everyone has their role to play, I guess. And I'm happy to have this this part of it for sure yeah what about big farms versus small farms i think probably the biggest farm i work with would be like nash's organic and squim they're they're a really big farm they have a lot of land but i still feel like what like i don't feel like they're too big i mean mm-hmm. my feeling is that they're yeah. not i don't know how other farmers feel about that yeah. um i work so what would what I, would feel I too guess, big to you and and what would be your concern with a big farm um or lo- a too big farm losing I guess I so say. i guess losing the relationship so i think i said earlier in the way winter, I do use a distributor. I use organically grown company. They're out of Oregon. They're like a farmer owned cooperative distributor. I like them because they do work with, with smaller farms. Um, they're super transparent about where their food is coming from. Like I always, I can ask questions and they have the answers, I guess. Um, but like I try, I still try when I order from them, I try to get it from the Northwest. I, I, I ask them to make sure like if it's available, I want it from a small family farm, you know, mm-hmm. like people. And I, I don't even really know what, what in my head I think that that is. A lot of the farmers that I work with here, it's like, it's two people, maybe, you know, a husband and a wife. <laughs> maybe one of them works outside the home as well as farming because you can't always make a living farming. And so those are sort of the people that I'm mostly buying from. I And I, I guess I would stay away from the places where it's sort of... I don't know. And and I don't know. I don't know why. Like mostly I think because I'm trying to support those people. Like Mm -hmm. I want, 
I want to support those people who are trying to make a living at something that they love doing, even though people who are working on large farms are also trying to make a living. Yeah. So I, well, but I this don't is the know. thing that yeah. I think a lot of people struggle with too, <laughs> yeah. because the ideal in a lot of people's minds, or at least it's trendy or whatever right mm -hmm. now, is that small family. Mm -hmm. You know, the smaller the better. Yeah. But where is that line, and what's good and what's yeah. bad, and does it really have to do with the size, or does it have to do with the mentality? Yeah, I think. I don't know. I mean, maybe the mentality. Um, I think there's a place for, for, for both. I don't think it has to be one or the other. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's something that I honestly haven't thought a ton about because I'm always just busy doing other things. Yeah. <laughs> I totally. mean, I do, I do think about it. So the first three years that I was open, I didn't use a distributor. And so in the wintertime, I would only, I was really adamant about, I am only going to buy farm direct. I'm not going to use a distributor. I'm only going to get Washington grown produce that I buy direct from the farmer. And that was great in theory, but then there was one and it went okay the first two years. Thankfully at that time, Nash's was growing a lot of wholesale crops and, and they had a fairly good variety of things that I could buy. My local farmers didn't really have anything in the wintertime. They didn't have a lot of storage capacity because they're a small, smaller farm. So yeah. they, they wanted to be finished by the time farmers markets were over. Uh, so after October, it would be really hard to get food. So I was going to the west side. I relied on Nash's fairly heavily. Um, Nash has, like, they've started decreasing the amount of wholesale food that they're making available. And so I've sort of had to increase my net, I guess, that I've cast for, for winter produce. And in my CSA, I still put only food that's Washington grown that I buy direct from the farmer. But for the store, so there was a really bad winter. And there was, I mean, I almost went under because... I, I think I maybe had potatoes and onions and some cabbage. That's all I had to sell for a whole winter. Mm. And it got to be really um, bleak. And nobody wanted to come in because that's, I mean, I still had my really, thank, thank goodness for these people that would like, they would come buy their potatoes and onions for me first. And I had a few other grocery things that they would get too, but um, before they would go to Safeway, but there wasn't a lot of reason for people to come in. And at that point I was like, okay, well, what service am I doing if I go under, <laughs> you know? So that's sort of when I made the decision to work with a distributor, at least in the winter time, so that my store had a little more to offer than, you know, potatoes and cabbage. I got really creative with cabbage. Like I, we <laughs> ate a lot of cabbage that winter, but you know, and it's been great. Cause like I've also, there's been farmers, it's, they come, like, they'll come and they'll say, where is your, where are your gaps? Like, what do you need? If I were to start doing something, what would you need me to grow? So I'm always like, you know, shoulder seasons, winter, we work with a great guy that does hydroponic lettuce and he's been a lifesaver. Like the last two years, we get this beautiful, you know, lettuce and arugula and, and that he's growing just like right up the road, which is awesome. Yeah. So it's also in some ways it's like helped expand, I guess. Um, it gives people an idea. Some of the local farmers, they grow a little bit more now. So there's a little more that I can buy from them through the winter because they can rely on me to buy it. So they don't need to get it all sold by the end of farmer's right. market season. So, Well, that's the vicious or virtuous cycle. It can go either direction, yeah, right? Yeah. As you can provide more, they can grow more mm -hmm. and that can continue to grow. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, back to the big, big farm, small farm, like 
I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thankful for some of those big farms in the winter <laughs> that, yeah. that are able to provide stuff that my small farmers can't for whatever reason. They don't have the infrastructure or they're working to make money so that they can farm during the summer. So, yeah, I don't know. So why do you have so much passion for it? I, don't I mean, know. what 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 drives that? <laughs> I I really I I don't know. I I love being like I enjoy this work because I love being my own boss. I love having a store. I love being sort of a I wouldn't say I'm a hub for the community, but I I feel like this definitely is a place where there's certain people that like I love it when people run into each other and they know each other from something else and I like kind of having that working at boundary <laughs> honestly like we were going to open a brewery here in Wenatchee. That mm. was sort of my dream was to come to Wenatchee yeah. and I was going to open a brewery. There wasn't any here. Mm. And part of the reason I wanted to open a brewery is because I loved the community feel that Boundary Bay had. Like they were super involved in the community. People met there. It was just a fun place to be. And I wanted to have a place that was like a community meeting place that did good in the community. And so the brewery didn't work out, and but this is, and it's sort of. I think maybe that's why I have a lot of passion for it. Is just it's just fun being in in that. I like having people come to my store and seeing people and making those connections. I love to make the connections between people, between farmers, between the community members. So I don't know. I guess that's why. Now when and it's fun to be my own boss. I like that too. So when you had to make that step to continue it on your own and make it your own business. Mm -hmm. What did that feel like? It was, I mean, I had never, I had worked service jobs. I'm super overeducated and, you know, I went to grad school and, but I always, I'd never had a, you know, professional career. I'd always been a waitress or um, I did a few other things, but I'd never, so it was, it was really scary. I, I did not know what I was doing. I worked at one year. <laughs> in a, you know, a real job. When I worked for Community Farm Connection, I felt like, you know, I worked, I had an office job, basically. I ran the store. I was in charge of the store. I was in charge of the CSA. It was, I worked for one year and then I was like, well, I'll just start my own store. It was ridiculously crazy, <laughs> but it's worked out. It's been, I mean, I don't know. I've made it work out. I'm, I've been pretty determined that I don't want to see this go away. So I've, worked hard to make sure that it doesn't but it was really it was really scary it's still scary it's still like I had to move recently so I lost my lease in March mm -hmm. in a spot that I had been in for five years and I was pretty comfortable there it wasn't the best spot for some reasons but it was a good spot for others and um, I was just starting to feel like I was maybe going to start making a profit you know like I'd been not a profitable but profitable business um I've been a break-even business for like five years, yeah. which I knew going into that, yeah. you know, one, it's a food business, really small margins. Two, it takes at least five years to sort of get your feet under you. But just as I was feeling like I was going to get my feet under me, I lost my lease and I had to move. And so that was also a big scary step because it was like, okay, do I... Do I just call it quits now and just walk away? Like you tried it, you did it, it was great. Or do you make this leap, spend all this money to like, but I did. I didn't want to see it go away. And I ended up with a really great spot. And I honestly think so now that I'm downtown, that this could be sort of a, a, a really good turning point for mm -hmm. what I'm doing. So maybe a blessing in disguise. So much so. Yeah, for sure. I was so sad when I had to move. Like when I when they told me they weren't renewing my lease, I was so, so upset. And there were even a few 
places that I thought I had that I lost. I kind of just fell into the place that I have right now, and it ended up, I think, being the perfect spot. So I'm not usually one of those people that's like, oh, everything works out for mm-hmm. a reason, but it really, it really did. Mm. So I'm super happy to be downtown. There's a lot going on down here now, and there's a lot of, like I said, people working and living down here, which even in the last five years, that's changed a lot. So it's a good... We're going to have a juice bar. We're going to have like grab and go food. And I think that it's going to go over really well here, which just means that I can buy more local food. <laughs> you know, like we can have it in the juice bar. We can have it in the deli. Like how many places can we, you know, so. <laughs> so many of the things you're talking about, about the business and the passion that you put into it is so much like a farmer. A farmer. Well. And and dealing with years <laughs> of breaking even or even right, losing yeah. money for that hope, that dream. I know that someday. <laughs> yeah. So really, you're fighting a, a similar <laughs> battle. And it well. probably feels like an uphill battle a lot of the time. And like you said, it's scary, too. But yeah. That's another thing I think people don't think about is the emotional side of being in this world. Yes, yes. Although, again, like, I think, man, I'm, I'm glad that I, like, I work with 20 different plus, like, 20 plus different farms. So if somebody is having a bad year, there's usually somebody else that's not. So, like, mm-hmm. thinking about being a farmer or an orchardist, and you, it's just so, you know, boom or bust. Like, like, if you have a bad year, it's just a bad year. You don't have anything to, so, I don't know. I think it would be so stressful to be a farmer. <laughs> So much more stressful than what I'm what I'm doing. What does this mean, though, like for your personal life? Because you have to. <laughs> how many how many hours do you put in a, to running this? A lot. I mean, I, a lot. I what the one thing I just did an interview for the Business Journal, and they were like, "What's the one thing that you didn't know starting your own business?" And I was like, "The the fact that I think about it twenty four seven. I never. I don't ever not think about this place. Whether it's what am I going to order? What do I need? What what do I need to do for next week? Do I need to, you know, drive over the pass? Who do I need to over, you know, order from? And, or like, are the bills paid? Did I remember to pay the, you know, (laughs) the phone bill? Or is my internet going to get shut off? Like, there's this, I'm always thinking about this, which is great. I, I feel fortunate that I'm, you know, I try to tell myself that I'm in a very privileged position to be able to own a business. Mm. Not everybody gets to do that. And so when I feel really stressed about it that's what I tell myself that I'm feel you're privileged to feel this stress <laughs> in all of this what's been the hardest thing money <laughs> I mean just but financially like just always which again like I just <laughs> I know so many like it's such a I feel like it's a really common thing like there's just you just feel like you're getting ahead and then the cooler breaks down and you have to fix it. And so any money you had set aside for whatever is is gone. And just always thinking about financially, like, okay, can I do this? Can I afford this? Can I order this? Can I fix this? I think that's just the hard, the, the stress that always worrying about financially, are we going to make it is... I guess the hardest thing. If that wasn't a factor, it would be like the best job in the world. <laughs> I mean, it's already a really good job, but that's that's just always worrying about the financials. But like I said, now that I'm downtown, the foot traffic is crazy. It's so much better than than my old location, and so I have really high hopes that 
that might not be as big of an issue as it has been for the past five years. So Earlier, you talked about your motivation to get into this and your passion for this, going back to college and and thinking about the environment and all that. How does that play into that now? How How has that perspective of yours evolved over time? I mean, I definitely think it it's changed in some ways, like what being a good steward of the land is when I when I see what people are doing again like it's something that I feel a little bad saying that I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it in the last five years not as much as I did before because I haven't had the time that sounds really terrible but um, I definitely think that probably the biggest place my thinking has changed it I was a vegetarian for 15 years I was a vegan for half that time Um, i think just my perspective there has changed. So uh, I work with a lot of, I work with people who, who do meat, you know, they, they call themselves grass farmers, but you know, mm-hmm. they, they do grass fed, you know, beef and lamb and, and they have chickens and, and, and seeing like what they're doing and watching, I mean, watching them post pictures of like their land five years ago versus their land now and, and reading about, you know, the carbon sequestering abilities of grassland and regenerative farming, like all of this stuff, I think that that has really changed, shifted my perception of the meat, dairy, egg industry, which I used to have a really like, you know, and I think there's still a lot of people that, you know, again, like I said, it's probably a hot button issue, but um, I don't always think necessarily that of there's a lot of issues with being a vegan and vegetarian too that come up with food like where is your food coming from what's the impact on in other countries and cultures of you wanting to have avocados and coconuts and almond milk you know like it it just I just think that it my view has widened I'm a little more open to the impact that all of our choices make in food and the environment and I I don't know trying to take in a bigger picture I guess than what I used to but you were passionate about this kind of stuff all along yes I mean like I said I I love to eat I love food I have uh you know I wouldn't say I don't know a foodie background you know (laughs) and just I I feel like it's such a way for like everybody eats (laughs) right? It's just a really good way to connect with people all across the board. I mean, I feel like my store has a real cross section of, so Wenatchee is a pretty conservative or has traditionally been a pretty conservative community. I came from a pretty liberal community from Bellingham. I had, you know, liberal views. I moved here. Um, There were a lot of people that didn't think what and still don't uh i've had people come in and and i'm pretty i i wear like my political leanings on my sleeve pretty pretty (laughs) much here um but i have a lot there's just a huge cross section of people like i know there's a lot of people that come here and we don't we don't connect on a political level or a social level like we have very different beliefs maybe in religion or but you can connect in food and and the importance that, that we all place on knowing where our food comes from and getting good food and feeding our families. And, and I think that that's kind of cool because I've connected with people that I probably wouldn't connect with in other areas of my life because we don't run in the same political or religious or social circles. But we connect here over, what do you do with your cabbage? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what do you make with rutabagas in the winter? So... 
I think that that's pretty cool too. What's your <laughs> What's your vision with all of this? Not just this store, but with this idea of local food. What needs to happen? Oh gosh, I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. I've heard some people say, "No, that's the future." People are. That's the direction they're going. Like local food only or... Ish. Yeah. I, mean, I think I that even that's I, what you're describing is I you mean, can't be a purist. You have to make some compromises sometimes and when you can't get the right thing. Yeah. But... Yeah. But... Still I mean, try your best. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And and I don't know. I think that that's... I, I think maybe that's the future is like trying to diversify a little, like having a, a variety, having people who are producing food locally. And, you know, I mean, people still, I still want, I want avocados. I like getting <laughs> oranges, you know, so we're not, yeah. I mean, I can't say that, that everyone should only eat what they can get within 50 miles of where they live. Um, but maybe having a little more diversity in like our food options would be a, a good thing. You know, I don't know. I would love, I mean, I just would love to see more people growing food and experiencing that. I think that's pretty cool. Um, But there's challenges all, you know, there's. You ever thought about doing it? No. (laughs) No, that's not true. I have. I I would love, I've like, I've definitely had the dream of like, oh, if only I had a few acres and some goats and chickens and, you know. But but then I I reel myself back in very quickly and think I don't I don't think that would I'm very appreciative of the people that do that I don't think that I could do it I don't even have a garden anymore I mean I don't need one I get a lot of really great food here but I just don't have you know, I don't have the time to do that but I do miss it I I miss gardening and having my hands in the dirt and and that kind of thing but I don't know maybe someday you'll maybe get someday s- yeah. sucked into this. <laughs> Terrible the, world of farming. The, of farming, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting. I feel like I'm getting too old to be a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> Never too old to farm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, thank you so much yeah, for opening up and sharing your personal story, which yeah. is so much tied to what's going on with this in this community here and far beyond. Well, thank you for stopping into my store today and asking me to do this. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. It's amazing what you'll find just walking down a street and keeping your eyes open and walking in somewhere and asking a few questions. That And that's how I got to meet Sandy Bammer there at Rhubarb Market. Such a cool experience. Not what I expected at all in downtown Wenatchee. And her story is awesome uh what a cool perspective she brings to the world of connecting us with where our food comes from who our food comes from that's what we're all about here on the podcast thanks for joining us again this week and please subscribe uh we'd really appreciate the support in that way uh you can subscribe on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts and a bunch of other outlets pretty much anything you can think of out there. Uh, It's available, so search us up. Also, realfoodrealpeople.org is our website. And my email address is dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org, so you can reach me there anytime. And we will talk with you next week as we continue this journey to connect with the people behind our food here in Washington State. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org.